Continue worshiping the Lord by, uh, as you're sitting down, grab your Bible and uh, let's dig into it. Uh, no opening introductions or funny or intriguing stories. We're just going to dive into God's Word, continue to worship Him uh, in it. Uh, we are in the seven churches, and this is the sixth of the seven churches. That means next Sunday is the last of the seven churches. Uh, so turn to Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3. As we've been talking about through this series on the seven churches, each one of these discussions, that these writings, these statement paragraphs that Jesus has for each of these churches really follow a pattern. There's a, there's a setting statement on this, what church it is, and then there's an attribute statement about Jesus Christ, something unique about him that applies to what he's about to say to that church. And then after that, there's a, what I call the I know statement. And he says, uh, I know about you. I know what's going on. And uh, I want to kind of cover those first three things. So we set the table here for our text. So uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. You there? Awesome. A beginning statement here, the setting statement. End of the messenger to the angel. And he says, human messenger, one of the leaders in the church uh, uh, that's in Philadelphia. End of the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, right? Uh, so let's get a map up, just kind of get ourselves oriented. You can see on the screen, this is modern-day Turkey that is up there. You can see Philadelphia. This is not in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. This is the Philadelphia out in the Turkey uh, region of the world. Uh, Philadelphia is about uh, 30 miles from Sardis that you can see there. Uh, it's located, Philadelphia is, it's located kind of in a volcanic region, just as a little bit of information, kind of a volcanic region that has some implications in its history. Um, it's uh, uh, because of that, actually, some of the soil there, uh, vineyards were a huge thing uh, in their uh, economy and what that city did and how they uh, had jobs and had money. Uh, I think an interesting point about it, Philadelphia is the youngest of the seven churches that are talked about here in chapters two and three. It's the youngest of the seven cities. Uh, it was commonly referred to in that day as the gateway to the east. A number of roads came there and traveled as people were heading uh, out to the east. It's interesting because it's kind of like, Doug, you've kind of been saying that about every one of these cities, that like all these roads kind of collide in the city. True, that's exactly the reality. And, and some say that's actually maybe why Jesus picked these seven cities, because these were seven cities that were action was passing in and out of them and the implications of all of that. Uh, this city was founded with the intention of being a city that was going to highlight, that was going to uh, kind of quarterback the idea of the Greek language and culture. It wanted to be known as the city that was uh, uh, making big Greek language and Greek culture. That gives you a little bit about where their mindset was at at the time. They loved Greek stuff, and they wanted to make that as their thing as a city. Uh, little is actually known about the church in Philadelphia in this city. Uh, it probably was founded around Acts 19 when Paul is on his missionary journey to Ephesus. Uh, we don't quite know for sure, but that's very possibly the situation. One of the things we're going to be seeing in this text that's encouraging about the church in Philadelphia is it's only one of two churches out of the seven that Jesus has no... Uh, um, big but statement to make. 
And all five, five of them, Jesus is talking, he commends them, and then he says, but this doesn't have one. Smyrna didn't have that either. That was a poor in their poverty and their faithfulness and, and all the, the smack talk that they were receiving as a church. Jesus commended them, and he just commended them. And we're going to see that here in this text. Uh, uh, that means this is a pretty special place. Um, and I love the fact that they're young. A young church that God is uh, actually going to, well, let's just get to the next statement. That's the setting statement. Let's get to the attribute statement. This is really important to understand. Jesus says something about himself that has great uh, help for us in understanding what he's about to say. So what does he say? He says, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Let's break that up a little bit here. The words of the Holy One. The Holy One. That was a a messianic title that was used uh, throughout the New Testament. And and here Jesus Christ is saying, it's red letter edition. That means Jesus is saying this here. And he's saying his words are, he's giving himself the title, The Holy One. Holy. uh, That means uh, set apart. Holy, 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 set apart, set apart, set apart. Whenever you sing that song, whenever you see the word holy, I think we have a hard time grabbing hold of what that really means. Just when you're singing it, sing holy, and in your mind think, set apart, unlike anybody else. This is a term of divinity. Do know, Jesus does not think he was a great prophet. Jesus does not think he was a moral man. Jesus knows that he is the second person of the Trinity. He is God. He is one of the Trinity. And this is the kind of statement that confirms that, the words of the Holy One. And he goes on to say the next thing, the words of the True One. It's the one without error, the one without falsehood. Uh, The term holy and true is actually used a number of times through the book of Revelation in reference to God. God is holy and God is true. I love that. I mean, he's set apart. He's unlike anyone else. He thinks unlike anyone else. He does like anyone else. He is unlike anyone else. And he's true. Don't you just get tired of the games of untruth in our day? You know, let's be honest. Even within our own selves, how we just manipulate with words. This one, this is true. Okay, what he is about to say, and by the way, it's all about him, what he's about to say. What he's about to say is true, okay? Uh, It's true. (laughs) No falsehood here. It's the true one. Then this next statement, really neat. Who has the key of David? Look over Revelation chapter five, since it's just so close to our text, five verse five. It says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is with the scroll and the lamb. And it says, weep no more, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. They're seeing David, uh, Jesus, I mean, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll with its seven seals. This concept of David has to do with this, this messianic office, the throne of David. God, or Jesus Christ, is going to take that. That is his place. And in this, uh, it's cool. It's the key of David. Keys. Hey, whoever has the key has control. 
Whoever has the key has authority. And I don't even think this so much means that he has like a literal key that's shaped with the thing and all the little sawtooth stuff on it. It's this concept of, uh, of this idea of the messianic one, of the messianic office. He has control. He has authority because the one who holds the key is in charge. And if you don't think so, just wait till someone else has the key and you don't. And you know they have authority right now. <laughs> when they have the key. So the holy one, the true one, the key of David one, and then this last statement, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. It's interesting. I love the fact that it doesn't tell us what he opens and shuts. He just says, he opens, he shuts. So is it referring to the the kingdom? Is it referring to blessings? Is it referring to opportunities? Yes. Yes. He does it, not you, not me, but Jesus Christ. I just want to add a thought with that. I think oftentimes we give ourselves way too much credit. You know, like uh, our words or our influence or our calls to action are what result in people responding or result in things happening. (laughs) That's just so not understanding who opens and who shuts. I mean, we're to proclaim, but no, he's the one who draws and redeems. We're to serve, and we're to know that he's the one who works and blesses through that. And sometimes we need to just get off ourselves. We don't have that much power. He does. And the cool thing about it is actually what's going on is he allows us to be part of what he's doing. He could make the rocks shout with glory to his name. He doesn't need us. But he allows us to be able to be a part of it. The fact that he opens doors, we're going to see in this text, is an amazing, amazing reality that he opens doors to allow us to be able to do ministry for him. It's just the coolest thing. The words of the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens, no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. And then look at the first four words of verse 8. I know your works. I'm just not going to go into it today. Went into it last Sunday. Wow, last Sunday. Where did that come from? Quite a Sunday. Um, I'm just not going to go into it more. Um, But Jesus knows. That should really encourage. Hey, he knows. It should also convict. Whoa, dude. (laughs) You know. And it's not so much what we know. It's not what, so much what I think. It's not so much what you think. What does Jesus think? Does he know that you're redeemed in Christ? Does he know that you've been saved? Or is that just something you think? Does he know that you're growing in Christ? Is he, does he know that and see that you're growing in Christ? Or are you just okay with where you're at? That was last Sunday. But the I know statement. Well, now we enter into the main guts of the text. 
Uh, So let me lay some land here because I think there's something important here in this. Uh, Our translations break up the original language sentences, and and that's okay. There's helpful things about that. You go to some of the the Pauline texts, and uh, um, it's just like the dude writes like an attorney, semicolon, 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 and it's just like you get lost in it. And so we break it up into, into some smaller sentences to grasp the topic of what's going on. One of, the, one of the downsides of breaking sentences up is sometimes we can lose the unified thought that continues on. Let me give you an example. Verse 7 and 8 in our translations contain four to five sentences, depending on which translation you have. In the Greek, it's one sentence. That means from start of verse 7 all the way through the end of verse 8, it's one thought that's kind of continuing on. And so what we see here in this text is actually uh, some of these verses, uh, verses, uh, let's say, 7 through 12, the final verse, verse 13 is kind of the closing statement. Verse 7 up into 8, those first four words there is kind of the opening statement. But the main guts is five sentences, and so I want to give you five points here. That's why I have this broken into the five points because I think each of these are a thought that is continuing. So the center of the text contains five original language sentences that tell of five things that Jesus is doing and will do for his people, okay? Five things that Jesus is doing and will do for his people. And if you look at your sermon notes page and the inside of the bulletin there, you'll see the first one is something that he is presently, actively, and continuously doing. The next four are all future-oriented things. And let, let, like, But I want all the now stuff. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. But know this, in light of what he's doing now and in light of what he's going to do, in light of what he's going to do completely impacts what we do now. The future matters today, okay? So let's get on that. That's kind of the lay of the land. Here we go, verse eight. I know your works, and he says, behold. In other words, listen up, ears perked. Behold, I have set before you. Who's the I? Jesus is. Behold, I, Jesus, have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. The sentence doesn't stop. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Okay, let's talk about this. I have set. It's this idea of setting something, putting something, placing something. Okay, a couple questions. Who set, who put, who placed? Think about that. Just image that. Uh, again, as I've kind of termed it, not, not the poor carpenter's son Jesus, not the, the, the hippie in sandals kind of thinking Jesus sometimes that we get this idea, but the Revelation chapter one, the fully magnified, the fully risen, the fully crucified, fully risen, fully magnified, fully glorified Jesus sets. Okay? Ladies, think of setting a table for Thanksgiving. He sets, he places, this is some work that he does. Uh, What did he set before them? You tell me. Open door. Okay, think about that. Not a wall, not a window, and not a closed door. He set before them an open door. And who set it before them? Jesus did. Good class. (laughs) Okay. Now, verse 7, which is part of the sentence, some door stuff has already been talked about. Remember? He has the key of David. 
That means he's the one who can open, and the text goes, he opens, he shuts doors. And you can't and I can't undo what he's done. He does it because he has the key. And here he's telling these people, this church, I have set before you an open door. Now the little statement in there, I know that you have little power. That sounds like a little jab, but it's not. What's really meaning is, is I know you're not big influence in where you are at. I know you're young and I know you're smaller. This should be so encouraging. I know you're young and I know you're smaller. I know you have little power in, in, in numbers and in influence in where I have put you at in the city of Philadelphia. But guess what? I've put an open door right before you. Now think about that. If he's put a door right before you and, and, and you're a young church and you don't have a lot of numbers in your church, what are you oftentimes thinking? We can't do this. We're just trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing together. We don't have enough people to do this. No, but the door's been set in front of you and it's open and Jesus Christ sent it in front of you. And so it's kind of like standing there with the door on the screen. Like if you're looking through the door and, you know, all 12 of you or however many of there are, and you're like, oh, I don't think so. This is like way over our head. And Jesus knows that. That's what's so cool about this text. He knows that. He knows that. But he still puts it there. And he still allows them to be able to be in that place. And no one can move that door. No one can shut that door. And no one can open that door. I just a little personal thing for this week. I had a meeting and I tweeted just about, I'm sitting in this room and like, why was I invited to be here? I do not deserve to be here. I'm like the youngest senior pastor, not the youngest by age, but youngest by experience in the smallest church among these guys. Why did you guys invite me here? I'm thinking in my head. And someone tweeted back. These are the exact words. God chose that seed for you. I, initially, I was like, just being honest. I was like, shut up. And then I'm sitting back and I'm thinking about it. And it's like, she was right. And I don't want to make this about me. I, I just want to make this about Jesus. There are times when we, even as a church, are like, are you kidding me? Like about a half mile over. Are you kidding me? We have no idea what we're about to step into. And that includes me. I have no idea what I'm doing. But he's been opening a door. And it's been happening from the beginning. And these are the times where you step back and you just go, I'm so thankful it's not about me. I'm so thankful it's not about you. I'm so thankful it's not about us. It's about Jesus who does the work and he's allowed us to be in the process of it. We have to be wise and we have to be part of the team. There's no question about that. This is not a let go and let God. Oh, gee, there's no in fact, look at the rest of verse 8, because Jesus says that. He's, after saying all this, he says, I know that you have little power, yet you have kept my word. 
and have not denied my name. Love that. Here's our deal. Let's keep his word and let's proclaim his name. That's it. Just keep doing that. Keep doing that. In the word, doing the word. In the word, growing in the word. In the word, growing in the word. Taking each other back to the word. Helping each other in the word. Understanding it more and more. Let's just be about that and let's proclaim the name. Don't deny it. Yeah, we're Jesus followers. Love on people. Proclaim the name, proclaim the name, proclaim the name. He's the one who grows people. He's the one who redeems people. And our job is just to be in the word, proclaim the name. And let's let him be king. So this is not sit back. This is not let go and let God. This is in the word, proclaiming the name. So let me just put truth number one. This is the longest one of the five. Truth number one is this that I've been talking about. Jesus sets open doors for his people. Jesus sets open doors for his people. Remember, he's talking to a church here. Who who, who sets open doors before his people? And what kind of doors does Jesus set before his people? Open doors. How sweet. How sweet. Point number two. Jesus will make the unredeemed fall and know. Get a load of this. Get a load of this. Because this is actually a little bit uncomfortable. Watch. Verse 9. Behold. Second time he said this. Ears open. In light of what I've just said, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie... I'm not going to spend the time on it. It's basically, let me just kind of broaden it. It's people who say that they are Yahweh's, but they're not. This goes with last Sunday. They think they're with Yahweh. Yahweh says, what are you talking about? I wish I knew that. Okay, that's what's going on. These people think that they're saved. They're not redeemed in Christ. Look at what's going to happen. Behold, third time, like double perk the other ear up. Look at this. Behold, I will make them come and bow. Bow down before whose feet? The church's feet. You see that? (laughs) I'm still trying to grab a hold of that. Because this doesn't mean like, yeah, down to my feet, dude. That's not what this is at all like. But Jesus Christ says, I will, I will make them. Uh, not just like they will, but he is going to make them bow down before your feet. Whoa. Uh, let me just say this. Let him handle people of retribution. Let him handle it. He's got it. Okay, we speak the truth. We, we, we confront things, we do that with love, and yet when it comes down to at the end of Matthew 18, and the whole process of that is, is leave it into the hands of the Lord. End up allowing the Lord to take it. Listen, he'll take care of it. He's got better ways and better hands to be able to do it than you and I. And sometimes we just can't get up, give it up. We see that now with the internet going on. And people taking things to the internet, saying things on the internet that should never be said. 
never be said. Throwing it out to people who have no ability to process it, no ability to know if it's true, no ability to know if it's a lie. Leave it in the hands of the Lord. He'll take care of it. If you have people in your past that have treated you horribly, listen to me. The Lord will redeem it. He will take care of it. And I guarantee you, he will do a better job at it than you and I could. Deal with things, address things, obviously. But there comes a time to where leave it in his hands because he's going to make people bow down at the church's feet. And look, and they will learn that I have loved you. You see, people who are like smack talk, like, oh, church people, you are so messed up. You Christians, you, you, just, you guys are just like dorks. And I'm really trying so that we understand this is not like a beat our chest and be all proud and arrogant. But do know this, not only will he put people face down at his church's feet to understand that his church was right, but those people that are face down will know that Jesus loved his people. Jesus loves his church. And in a day and age where we have such bad talk about the local church, stop it if that's you. Because Jesus happens to love it. I I get it. I get it. Some things aren't going so well. But Jesus loves his church and people who mock his church one day will know that he loves his church. He loves his peeps. Jesus will make the unredeemed fall and know. Amazing statement. Truth number three, verse 10, Jesus will keep his people from the hour of trial. Oh, thank you, Lord. Verse 10, because you have kept my word, about patient endurance. In other words, because you have been patiently enduring. By the way, do you see his response to that? This is, this is like, because you've hung true to me, this is not earning salvation. This is the fruit of salvation. There is perseverance in true salvation. Look what he says. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the, how much of the world? The whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Oh, awesome. He's going to talk about pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib. No, I'm not. And here's why. Because right at this point in time in the text, the readers didn't know the rest of the story that's about to be talked about. They're just reading this. So I just want to hang right here as if we just got the letter, like for the people in Philadelphia. So Jesus here, he is saying that he's going to keep them from an hour of trial. And it pertains to something with his church. He's going to keep them from an hour of trial. And it's keeping them from an hour of trial that not just they're going to have a time of trying time. No, it's a whole world trial. It's a whole world trying. So this is more than just uh, uh, someone saying, well, you know, they went through some hard times in the next year, next 10 years. And Jesus is saying he's going to keep them out of some of that or spare them. No, no, this is a whole world thing. And there's a definite article before hour of trial. It's not an hour of trial. It's the hour of trial. I'm convinced that this is talking about Daniel's 70th week. This is the seven-year tribulation. And I just want to say this. 
This is one of the verses, if you want to talk about end times, this is one of the verses that tells me that I'm not into post-trib. I vote pre-trib because I'm a wimp. Uh, If it's mid-trib or pre-wrath, hey, whatever. But there's this concept here that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to spare his church from the hour of trial. I think that's talking about the wrath that is coming in the latter half of the tribulation. If you know Jesus Christ, you have hope. In a day and age where everybody's talking about this and that and you don't have this and all these fears and all this stuff and all that, just know this. He is going to redeem his people from the hour of trial. How sweet. Doug, are you sure? Well, the holy and true one said it. Okay? Not me, but the holy and true one. I think that's why earlier he he makes these statements. Because he said it. That's the one who said it. He doesn't play games. Oh, no, by the way, he has the key. He knows when he can turn things and to lock them and when to open them. And it doesn't matter what you and I think, because if he opens the door, you and I can't shut it. Nobody can shut it. If he closes it, you and I can't open it. Nobody can open it. He's the one who has it all. Jesus sets open doors for his people. Jesus will make the unredeemed fall. And no, Jesus will keep his people from the hour of trial. For Jesus will come at any time for his people. (laughs) Verse 11. I am coming soon. This is one sentence, no period. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Coming soon, quickly. (laughs) Doug, it's been 2,000 years. Gotcha. Um, The focus of this word is on the imminence of it. Okay? We read that in English and we just kind of get this idea like next week. Next year. No, no, no. It's this idea of eminence. It's like at any time he's coming, just know that. Oh, by the way, at any time he's coming, he holds the key. And he's the holy true one. So listen, trust what he has to say. Uh, That's what he says. I'm imminently coming uh, from the holy true one, uh, the one who opens and closes the door. So how should that truth impact us? Look at the action on our part. Hold fast. This word has been a number of times to all of these churches. Hold fast. I call it Velcro yourselves. Just like Velcro yourselves to him. Hold fast what you have. What do you have? Well, that's where you just need to spend the time thinking what you have. And I'm not talking stuff. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've come to the place where you don't just know about him, but you've driven the stake in the ground and you've received him as your savior for real. And there's lasting in that. Lasting shows whether it was real salvation. No, you cannot lose your salvation. But the question is, some think that they are saved and they are not. And here is come to Christ, hold fast to him, Velcro yourselves to him because that's our job. He'll take care of when. He'll take care of how. He'll take care of how we can see it all the way across the world. All of the things that come in Revelation. That's where I just, sometimes we get so all in a tither about these things. It's like, just chill out. The holy and true one's got it all figured out. We just need to hold fast. Buckle up. 
Buckle up. Let's ride this baby out so that no one may seize your crown. Revelation 2.10, it says, I will give you the crown of life. It's the reward for enduring in Christ. Perseverance proves one's reality. I'll say it this way. Perseverance in Jesus Christ, Christ proves genuine salvation. This is a room filled with people that, that fail, that sin. Persevering, continuing in, it shows the reality of salvation. You can go and read Mark chapter 4 on the four soils. Go to Matthew chapter 7 and see what Jesus says about many uh, said that I was their Lord and yet I didn't even know him. Perseverance shows the reality. Last truth, number five. Jesus will make me a pillar in his temple. By the way, I've kind of changed to the singular. The reason I've changed to the singular is because the text changes to the singular. It says this, verse 12. The one who conquers, the one who endures, the one who's redeemed in Christ and lives that out. Look at this. I will make him. These are all Jesus things. Uh, I am coming. I will keep. I will make. Uh, I open doors. And here, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. The sentence doesn't stop. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, the God, the father, the name of the city of my father, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, uh, from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Just briefly, pillars. What are pillars? Pillars represent, uh, just know this. You're not going to go to heaven and you're not going to be like turned into a stone pillar. Okay, that sounds boring. That's not the point. He's giving this image of it. Pillars represent stability and strength and permanence. And these are pillars that are immovable immovable, and and they're an integral part of the building. And what's the building? Well, it says here, it's it's the father's temple. It says, never shall that one go out. Never, will always be there. I will write on him the name of the father. I will write on him the name of the city of the father. I will write on him my own new name. I mean, how much more personal does it get? Like eternally in God's house, a part of God's house, name tattooed with his name on us. And this whole thing, it's so personal. It's so secure. It's, it's so personal. It's not like he's going to run us through a manufacturing line and chicken, chicken, number, number 295, number two. No, he's just going to write his own name. Whose are you? Look at the name. So cool. That's what's coming, friends. It's so personal. It's so secure. And it's all done by the Holy One, the true one. It's all done by the one who has the key. It's all done by the one who opens and shuts the doors. So let me just finish it with this. Today is about a be encouraged. If you know Christ, church, be encouraged. Be very encouraged. Be encouraged because we press ahead as a church, knowing that he is opening the door. He's the one. We don't. He does. We don't know what we're doing. He does. And we just stay right there, hold fast to that. And I have to say, it's so relieving. It's just so much relief. You know, our skills and our abilities and our techniques, 
It's all about him. We're to be wise and we're to be strategic without question. But submissive to him, it's just humbling as well. I mean, just proclaim and serve. In the word, doing the word. And let him do the work and watch. So there's the first one there that's a, he is opening doors now. And then the last four, press ahead because know this, he is going to make the unredeemed fall and know that he loves his people. He is going to keep us from the hour of trial. He is going to come anytime. And he is going to make his people pillars in his temple. I can keep on chugging knowing those truths. Can you? God, thank you for the time together. Thank you for really, I think, what is just such a sweet passage. A a passage that just talks about what you do. And it is just so kind and it is so amazing. It is just filled with grace. It is filled with power. The fact that you want to use us, that you are using us, that you, will, uh, that you will bless us because of what you have done and because of what you are doing. Oh God, thank you for that. Lord, I gotta tell you, it's a passage like this that just causes me to go, I am so grateful to be someone who knows Jesus Christ. And the fact that I say that, that was all you're doing. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't know you as Christ and as their Savior, that that they would step back and that they would realize that, no, 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 this is where I want to be. I want to be in relationship with Jesus Christ forever. You can do that today. We've got people down here at the end of the service that will be here for you. Feel free to come and talk with them or someone you came with. But church... Let's be reminded, he opens doors. He closes doors. Let's be faithful and let's jump on his train. And let's let him be the one who steers it. Can we do that? Hey, can we do that? Let's do that increasingly so together. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.